Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Before at WILK, it is time for our visit with Pennsylvania U.S. Senator Pat Toomey. Hi, Pat. Hello, Sue. How are you? <laughs> I'm really great. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Boy, you had some harsh words last week for this omnibus spending bill. And I, I just want to revisit that momentarily because we all know you as a pretty fiscally conservative person. And uh, I'm just wondering, you know, if you could expand upon uh, your feelings here that you called it uh, irresponsible, little debate, less transparency, no opportunity for amendments, 2,000 pages, chock full of wasteful and ineffective programs. You telegraphed your feelings very well. Yeah, well, I wasn't making any secret of it, Sue. Um, this is, uh, it is both a terrible process and a terrible product that resulted from a terrible process. $1.3 trillion of spending, the entire discretionary part of the federal government, which is to say the part that Congress controls and decides on every year, as opposed to those programs like, say, Social Security and Medicare that are on autopilot. So rather than go through a sensible, thoughtful process where we evaluate these um, line items and decide which things should grow, which should shrink, which should be eliminated altogether. None of that happened. We get four guys negotiate a bill in a back room. They put it on the floor, and it's it's just this monstrosity, chock full of all kinds of waste. We're running, well, we're heading towards a trillion-dollar deficit, which will add to the already $20 trillion of debt. And here we are spending even more money. Um, let me be clear about the dynamic here. We went into this with, I believe, a need to increase our defense budget. I mean, we have record few number of warships, record few number of aircraft. Too few um, of our units are actually, you know, combat ready because we have not had the resources necessary. That needed to be corrected. It is corrected, and that's a good thing. The problem is our Democratic colleagues say, oh, well, if you want more money, for defense, then we want more money for you know, domestic and welfare programs. And that's where we ended up with these huge spending blowouts, very irresponsible, just a, just a terrible process and a, a terrible product. So just couldn't support it. The uh, defense spending, though, was uh, used almost as the excuse as to why this had to be passed. Well, that's right, and I understand. I've got colleagues that are, are good fiscal conservatives that voted for this because they felt like, well, this is just the price we have to pay uh, for to get the increase in the defense spending. Um, but I just can't accept that we should be held up this way. And, that, I mean, our most fundamental responsibility as a federal government is to protect and defend this country. 
so that has to come first in my mind. And we have to pay what it takes to get that job done in a very dangerous world. And when our Democratic colleagues come along and say, well, but you need our votes to pass it, and we're going to hold you up for, uh, you know, tens of billions of dollars of extra spending on things that we don't need to be doing, that, I, I, just, I just can't accept that. What do you think will happen, Pat, with this uh, bloated plan? I mean, how... how... Uh, irresponsible is it to continue on this uh, path? Well, I mean, it's it's not sustainable. We cannot continue to run trillion-dollar deficits indefinitely. Nobody knows when the day of reckoning will occur. But, you know, we have to finance this massive deficit by selling bonds, right, by issuing the debt that uh, we incur in order to pay for all the spending. And, you know, so far the bond market has been very accommodating, of course, Part of that is because the Fed has been very accommodating. You know, we've, we've monetized a lot. In other words, the Fed has just printed the money and then used that money to buy the bonds, which is just a horrendous um, recipe for disaster, uh, in, inviting us to have uh, a, a currency that will lose value tremendously. Um, but this hasn't happened yet, and so people sort of pretend that this is all, everything is fine. Interest rates are relatively low. The dollar is relatively okay. And, you know, that's the way it always is until it's not. And nobody knows when you reach that tipping point, but everybody should understand that you can't be living beyond your means indefinitely. And it's a bad idea to rack up a massive amount of debt. You know, other countries have gone down this road before. It has never ended well. So I want us to get on a sustainable fiscal path as soon as we can. Yeah, the president, when he he did signed this, said he, he was a reticent to sign it, reluctant. It was never going to happen this way again. Uh, how, do you believe it? I mean, it's just, he he kind of went to the knife's edge on this one, and he, he toyed with the idea of actually not signing it, and then I guess he was uh, swayed or influenced somehow. Uh, do you really believe that this is a never-again situation? Well, um, there's too much history to suggest that it's never again, but I am actually hopeful and cautiously optimistic that at least this year we will have a more sensible, rational process where we will take up the bills that fund the government in the separate categories and take them up sequentially, debate them, amend them, uh, you know, provide the scrutiny and oversight that we're supposed to. I mean, this is Congress's job to manage the spending of taxpayers' money, and uh, you certainly can't do it in a ginormous you know, plus omnibus, uh, like they passed last week, but we, we can do it properly uh, with a process that takes up these bills individually in the various categories, scrubs them, cuts where they can be cut, and uh, that, that is hopefully the process we will follow this year. It is, it is to be seen. Over the weekend, there was a demonstration in Washington, D.C., the March for Our Lives. What is your opinion of what you saw? Well, look, I, I think if, you know, young people want to uh, get involved in political discourse, they want to advocate a policy, uh, then it's, it's a great thing that they're involved. I, I welcome their involvement. I welcome their voice. Uh, it's, you know, they have a perspective that, that we should listen to. Um, but it's not the only perspective. It's, it's part of the discussion. So as long as they want to contribute 
in a constructive way to the discussion about what do we, what, do, what, how should we proceed? What should our policy be regarding the Second Amendment? Um, you know, I welcome their input. Don't necessarily agree with all of them, but uh, you know, uh, I, I don't agree with anybody 100% of the time. Have you heard from young people in your office about uh, working legislatively on the problem of these school shootings? We have. Yeah, we've we've heard from uh, uh, we've heard from people of all ages and all walks of life. Are they offering you anything that you find to be uh, constructive, productive, a good idea, something that that helps shape uh, a cohesive plan for the future, which I believe has to be done holistically and just can't be about uh, one myopic issue. Well, I mean, I think some people do. Uh, others, you know, I, I think they, um, they're uh, ideas that I could not support. Uh, but, um, you know, we've talked about this many times, too. I think it's reasonable to have broader application of background checks so that we make it more difficult for dangerously mentally ill and violent criminals to, uh, to purchase firearms. I think that's reasonable. I'm not interested in infringing the rights of law-abiding citizens. I'm not interested in confiscating guns or banning categories of very popular firearms. Uh, those sorts of things, I think, are, are not constructive, not helpful, and inconsistent with our Constitution. Um, but there's a lot we can do to improve our background check system, and I've got legislation to do it. Um, so, you know, I, I, I welcome people who have other ideas, but I think we also should Remember, at the end of the day, these school shootings are examples of profoundly disturbed, mentally ill individuals. And the real problem here is this mental illness. And we've got we've to understand this and figure out how to identify it earlier and do something about it. We've all been watching as uh, various personnel have been leaving the Trump administration in these cabinet-level positions to be switched out for other individuals. Pat, a lot of people um, look at this as the president's prerogative, obviously. A lot of people look at this as a sign of some sort of um, instability within the administration. So I'd like to ask you how you you perceive it as somebody who is in Washington. Well, there has been a lot of turnover. And that's, that is true, and that can be disruptive. But I have to say that generally I've been very pleased with the people that the president has um, nominated for these roles. Uh, I think John Bolton is a very, very qualified guy, very sharp. Uh, I think uh, he's very likely to do a, a very, good, very good job guiding um, security policy. Mike Pompeo, who moves over from the CIA to the State, uh, the State Department to be Secretary of State, I don't know him personally, but I, I know he's got an outstanding reputation. He's been in this uh, field for a very long time. He's very knowledgeable. Um, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. On the economic side, you know, I think Gary Cohn did a great job, uh, but uh, I understand why he left. Uh, Larry Kudlow has come in to replace him. I've been, I've been very friendly with Larry for, for almost 20 years. Uh, Larry is going to give the president great advice on economic policy. I hope the president will follow it. And, uh, you know, on balance, I think it's a, it's a strong team. 
do you worry that uh, John Bolton is is too much of a hawkish guy? That seems to be opinion that is uh, circulating in the media is this is um, a quote unquote war war cabinet. Yeah, you know, I think people can overstate that. Um, Bolton was very critical of the Iran nuclear deal, but so was I. I think it was a terrible deal. He was very critical of Bill Clinton's uh, basically appeasement of the the North Korean regime, and uh, you know, Clinton fell for the uh, uh, the stunt that if we just gave them enough money and enough. Uh, nuclear energy technology, they'd give up their nuclear weapons program. Well, how did that turn out? So Bolton uh, anticipated that at the time, criticized it, and I think quite rightly. So I think uh, he's demonstrated uh, he's a very sharp guy, very well-informed, very knowledgeable. I don't think it's fair to describe him as a warmonger. Um, let's, Let's watch how this develops. And I know this question may seem odd, but it is newsy about uh, Facebook and data mining and the use of uh, Facebook information. Uh, And I know that you probably hesitate about regulatory policy in regards to things, but uh, do you think that there should be some sort of government regulation of Facebook? Well, when you say some sort of, that's a pretty (laughs) broad category, right? So here's what I think, um, and and I am looking to forward to learning more about this. I'm not the world's leading expert on social media. Obviously, it's become a huge, huge um, force in our culture and our communication. And I do think that people ought to understand clearly how a social media platform is going to use their information. People should be able to make a well-informed judgment about what kind of information they want to post, whether they want to use the platform at all. And that decision should be informed by knowing what this company is going to do with that information. And then companies are, in my view, should be obligated to honor that commitment. Whatever they have said they're going to do is what they should do and nothing else. Now, that is very different from saying, well, Facebook must do X, Y, and Z and must not do A, B, and C. So I'm not sure that we're at the point where the federal government should be telling them what they may and may not do with the exception of sticking to their word, making it clear what they uh, what their business model is, how it works, what they do with people's information, so that people can make a uh, well-informed decision. All right. Legislatively, uh, what, what would you like to uh, talk about that you're working on right now? Well, I am going to be moving ahead on a... Um, a hearing that I hope to do soon in my committee uh, that will deal with uh, the opioid crisis. And one of the things that we're um, exploring is whether or not we should sort of get a systematic overview of how these opioids are being prescribed. What has changed about the volume of prescriptions, the frequency of prescriptions? Is everybody getting a prescription, someone that should have a prescription? You know, in the United States, we prescribe more opioids than any other country in the world, uh, and and even as a percentage of our population. Obviously, we're a very large country, uh, but even uh, if you take, gosh, I'm, I'm sure we prescribe more opioids than the entire European Union, and probably by a factor of several. Um, so I think while there has been increasing awareness and in some areas uh, better prescribing practices, 
I still think we're overprescribing massively. And I think that contributes to the opioid problem that we have. So I'm pursuing a hearing that will explore this issue. Excellent, because that's a real issue in Pennsylvania. So we thank you, U.S. Senator Pat Toomey. Have a blessed Easter with your family, and we appreciate your phone calls every month. Thank you very much, and happy Easter to you and your listeners also. All right. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.